Welcome to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume Rx, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Well, hey there. Welcome back to the Nurse Becoming Podcast. It's your host, Amanda Guarneri. And boy, do I have a special guest for you today. I have the one and only Katie Duke, who you probably know unless you've been living under a rock. She is one of the biggest nurse personalities, nurse influencers, whatever term you want to use. She has really defined, I think, my generation in terms of nurses in the media. And she's also become a a dear friend of mine. And so I am super excited to have this interview for you. I'm going to read a brief bio about her so that you can be familiarized in case you aren't familiar with her. So Katie Duke is a board certified acute care NP living in New York City. She has more than 16 years as a nursing professional. And she also serves as a mentor, media expert, keynote and motivational speaker, as well as a podcast host. And she is an agency-represented social media leader. She's really most respected for her authentic transparency and relatable content, and you will get really quite the look into this in our interview. She really opens up about her past, about her present, and how her decisions and her kind of low moments have really formed who she is today and informs how she shows up in public on social media. So I really think that you will be impressed by her degree of vulnerability and courage for sharing what she shares in this episode and also on her own podcast, Bad Decisions, which I highly recommend listening to if you haven't already. So another thing that's really amazing about Katie is that she and Cherokee Uniforms have a collection together that launched in 2019. And that actually makes her the world's first collaborator between a scrubs collection and a nursing professional. So that is pretty pioneering if you ask me. So without further ado, so excited to have you listen to this episode with the one and only Katie Duke. All right, Katie Duke, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Super excited. We we talk a lot, but now we're just going to talk and record it. So it'll just be a little bit different. It'll just be official, our conversation official. today. <laughs> <laughs> so I've already given you a little bit of an intro in the intro, but I'd love to hear in your own words for people who live under a rock and don't know who you are. Tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are. Mm. Um, well, live under a rock. That, that actually that actually kind of describes my life right now, living under a rock. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for having me. My name is Katie Duke. I am an acute care nurse practitioner. I have been in nursing for 16 years, the last five of which have been working as an NP. I do a great deal of public speaking, giving academic and motivational keynotes across the country for different organizations, schools, etc. I have a mentoring platform, which I recently launched, which is Categorical Mentoring. Categorical. 
mentoring, um, meant to help people through those things that are not very, very common, you know, in like standard mentoring platforms, the things that are kind of a little more taboo, a little more questionable. I have a um, pretty good social media following, which I am very grateful for. I have some brand partnerships that I do with Cherokee Uniforms, and I host international travel trips. And I also have a podcast called Bad Decisions. And I uh, also have this really fun new collab coming up with this girl, Amanda, from the Resume Rx. Yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. Recently single, COVID survivor, 39 years old, had like 18 midlife crises this year, but I'm still going strong. Is that it? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> no, it's just funny because you're, you know, very casually like, well, I've got a pretty good social media following and I do public speaking and like you're so modest, but you do a lot. Like you are you know, really the leading nurse personality, I feel, of our generation. Not that there's anyone in any other generations because the social media and nursing thing. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I feel like we see that a lot, like a lot of the schools, nursing schools and professional organizations can be a little bit aged, if you will. Oh, they are, they're late adopters. Actually, no, they're late adopters. They're like non-adopters. It's kind of like, here's like what are, well, first of all, thank you for that very flattering compliment. I appreciate that. I never really look at myself like that. In fact, I have a great deal of like imposter syndrome and like major anxiety. And I always feel it's very strange because I, I teach a much different lesson. Like when I'm mentoring people and I'm like, you know, you need to be confident and comfortable. And then here I am and I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) I need to be doing more. You're failing at life. And I'm like, God, how much more shit am I going to put on my plate? But, you know, the interesting thing about like our nursing, quote, celebrities or our nursing leadership, the older, experienced, you know, well-published prior keynote speakers and like all of that, who would be our like public figures in nursing, to me, they are kind of like the non-maskers of the COVID crisis. And I say that because they are very, very late adopters. In fact, they are very much non-adopters to the power of social media and how we can really reach our audience and how we can really present a good representation of nursing professionals in the media. And it's interesting because I fight this. Can I curse on here? Sure. I fight this fucking battle every day. Caution, explicit lyrics. You've been warned. You're welcome. Um, I fight this fucking battle every day. So where you will be like, you know, you are one of the most influential people that we have, you know, and all of that starts on social media in the same, like in the same week, I will hear from a CNO of like a hospital I used to work for that they've banned me from the hospital because they feel I'm an unprofessional representation of what nursing is on social media. So where's the fucking disconnect? Like, it's such, it is really polarizing. But we have this whole entire trove of, you know, older nursing professionals. They all have their doctorates and their PhDs and they're, you know, in their older ages, you know, like late 50s, 60s and above. And there is a very strong group of them who have so much power and influence of our nursing professional community in the grasp of their hands. And they will not you know, get with the times. 
right? They won't. And it's like fighting this uphill battle. I mean, it's really insane. I was recently told that I couldn't go back to another employer because they felt that I played into the sexy nurse role too much on Instagram. I actually have that in an email. So do you see like how it's so frustrating? And so I think one of the things that I, and I know this is totally getting, I don't even know where I'm going with this, but I feel like people need to hear this shit. (laughs) But it's really frustrating because how do we expect nurses to feel comfortable and confident and know the right way to use social media and really build up like a proper representation in the media of us. Why do you think there's no, why do you think there's no like nurse on Biden's task force? Why do you think there's not a nurse correspondent on CNN with Dr. Sanjay Gupta? Why do you think there's no nurse out there? That's like Dr. Mike and has 13 million followers. Yeah. Why? Well, let me tell you, because the majority of us are women, but also nursing is a punitive culture and our leaders and our, you know, public figures have not encouraged us to be present on social media and to be present in the media. And how the fuck do you think we're ever going to get anything changed that relates to any of our quality of work life if we have no representation in the media and we have no representation in, in social media and in networks? Anyway, so that's something that I'm tr- striving to change, but oh, the pushback is real. Yeah, I I totally agree with you because, you know, I feel like there's a lot of focus on nursing as a profession, mm-hmm. right? And like trying to make change in the profession at large. But the second anyone wants to draw attention to a nurse as a professional, like as the individual, then all of a sudden, you know, someone's stepping out of line. You're not following orders. You're not, you know, going with the flow and and doing that kind of, I don't know, following the rules. Like it's very yeah. patriarchal, you know? And yeah. it's, I struggle with that too because I wonder how much of it is because we're a female dominated profession. Yeah. Uh, how much of it is that we're afraid because it's been dangled over our heads that if we say anything or yep. we'll step out of line, yep. yeah, we'll, we'll get fired. We'll lose yep. our license. Fired, you lose your, it's you know? punitive. I'm telling you, it, it's really, it's really such a punitive culture. And the fact that, and I know I've said this to you over the phone, but I want people to hear it on the podcast. Like the fact when I came back to New York, I had been recruited to give the keynote at the American Association of Nurse Practitioners Annual Conference, not something that they just give to anybody. That's a pretty scrutinizing committee and board of directors who's, who chooses, you know, their keynotes, especially the closing keynote for the entire, you know, and this was booked a year ago. And that actually was supposed to be like an in-person conference. But in the matter of like seeing how big of a disconnect there is between our in-hospital and like our in-person leadership and leaders and those people who are making moves and strategically trying to build a presence on social media, the disconnect is really, really, really polarizing. And then, you know, and, and when I came back, I, I was thinking I could just get my old job back, you know, and when I heard that the chief nursing officer who used to be our NP director had blocked me from getting hired, you know, at my old hospital, because she feels that I play into the sexy nurse role and that she doesn't think I'm a professional representation on social media. I'm like, well, how exactly does she think that? But AANP finds me suitable enough to be their keynote speaker. I'm a little confused. And, you know, a lot of things like that stem from two different arenas of thought. The first is 
just being a typical jealous catty female. And let me tell you, there's plenty of those. And I'm sure everyone listening right now is shaking their head just like you're shaking yours. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, yep. I know that type. And women are always, we're so terrible, we're terrible to each other at baseline, but we're even more terrible to each other within our profession of nursing. But the second arena of thought where I think that big disconnect comes from is just their own ignorance. You know, they're not on social media. They don't read blogs. They don't really watch too much of the news. They don't really care to open their mind to how things and times are changing, you know, because at the end of the day, like, we need to stop paying homage to Florence fucking Nightingale. And we need to get more nurses on Twitter. We need to get more nurses on Instagram. We need to get more nurses starting their own brands and platforms. And we need to get more nurses out to the media organizations, you know, as, as actual like correspondence. I've been watching the news the whole fucking year. I have never seen a correspondent on CNN or MSNBC. I don't watch Fox news, but like CNN, MSNBC, Bloomberg, I've never seen them say, you know, tonight we're we're speaking with, um, you know, Jane Smith. She is a uh, a registered nurse or a nurse practitioner or a nursing educator or a public health nurse, and we're talking about you know coronavirus. It's always a doctor, always a doctor. In fact, it's usually like retired doctors. <laughs> and I'm like, well, shit, we're all here, we're working. Like, there's tons of us on social media. You know, we all have different backgrounds, different strengths, but. So I really think that that other piece of that disconnect comes from the fact of there's a lot of people that are just comfortable with how things have always gone. They don't like thinking outside of the box. They don't like changing things up. But I like stirring the pot. And I know that you do as well, which is why we're both sitting here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm a little bit more of a copacetic pot stirrer. (laughs) You're the pot stirrer. Yes. And I'm I'm like, and yeah, and I'm the extroverted pot stirrer. Yeah. And I'm like... In that group of friends, if you ever had someone who was like the mom who made sure like everyone got home okay and, you know, you took the keys from your friend who was driving and, you know, the mom friend who would like hold back your hair if you were sick, that's that's me in like every situation. So I want everyone to get along, but I will push things in the direction that they need to go. We need people who are like extroverted right in the front line of things. And then we need people who are like a little more in the background being like, let's corral the kitties, you know? I just really wish that our nursing profession would just like get with the times, man. And honestly, there are a few nursing leaders like Dr. Ferrara is obviously, you know, one of our big advocates. He is really somebody who is just a an exception and not the norm. And we need people like him to be the norm. Nursing educators, nursing leaders um, who really get the language that the people are speaking. You got to read the room, you know, and the room is, is that most of us are online. Most of us are on Twitter. Most of us are writing blogs and we are talking and we are speaking up and we need more of a space at the table. And the only way that we're going to get there is if we have more of a media presence. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, recently we're recording this in November and Biden and Harris just announced their coronavirus task force uh, and real disappoint, like so happy that that is happening, but really disappointing that a nursing professional doesn't have a seat at that table. Not a one. And, you know, we can complain about it behind closed doors to one another or we can, you know, decide how we're going to move forward and make 
changes and model behavior so that on the next task force, yeah. we're an obvious, you know, we have an obvious seat at yeah. the table. We, I posted about that um, recently and a bunch of people like DM'd me and they're like, so I saw your post. We just started spamming the Biden transition Instagram DMs and we're going to keep sending messages until someone replies. <laughs> I think that whoever runs that Instagram account probably has hundreds of messages saying, hi, we noticed that you uh, ne- neglected to have a nurse somewhere on your task force and we would just like to offer you plenty of plenty of suggestions now I would not be a good suggestion like I I worked the front lines I got COVID I have that perspective but like I'm not a public health nurse and I'm also not somebody who is you know highly trained in infectious disease and you know pathogens and viruses and whatnot but there are many nursing professionals out there that we really could choose from. People who have been doing years and years of research, but again, bring to the table that different perspective of just being a nurse. And what are those nurses doing to they make sure that they're exactly what are they yeah. doing to make it known that they, you know, make it known beyond their hospital or beyond their county that they are an expert in this area? You know, like it comes down to being visible to having yourself branded appropriately. And even if you don't want to be tweeting or posting Instagram stories, like at least get your butt on LinkedIn. Yeah, get on LinkedIn or at least start contributing and writing some, you know, some some editorial pieces or submit an opinion post, you know, to one of the blogs or one of the websites that have a good nursing community, you know, that they that they feed into or at least the academic community. I mean, something, you know, but the thing is, is that a lot of people are just kind of comfortable not doing anything. Yeah. A lot of nurses have very demanding work schedules, you know, not as forgiving as maybe, you know, a physician schedule who maybe, you know, has like an academic appointment. So they don't, they're not working clinically 40 hours a week, Yeah, you know, and I don't know. I personally think like as a mom being in my reproductive years, it has been really difficult to do it all and to, work full-time because I don't right now. I don't work full-time. I don't know how you could. You have like like 18 kids. I just, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I know. know. You have 18 kids. You have a business. You have a husband. You have a podcast. You have 96 templates on your website. I, I don't know how you do any of that. And I don't have half the like the responsibility. But, you know, I talked about this with Dr. Ferrara, how, you know, when I became an NP 10 years ago, I had really, really high hopes of, taking on some sort of advocacy position or being a member, not just a member, but like a leader in a professional organization and doing all that like beyond stuff. Right. But like, realistically, I have zero capacity for that in, in the like career building years of my life. So I wonder how many other nurses have felt. Well, I think similarly, I I think, I think a lot of people do because I mean, no one's going to want to do anything above and beyond or anything extra when they're burnt out at baseline. Yeah. So most people are kind of having burnout right now just in their home lives, just trying to manage what this entire year has done to people's personal lives and their personal schedules and their outlets, right? Everything has been like totally shaken up. You know, so you have a bunch of people who are like burnt out in their personal lives at baseline and then you send them to a job in a thankless profession, in the middle of a pandemic, and what you're then putting on top of them is you're burning them out at work also. So do you think anyone's going to want to take any time and effort and energy 
and put it towards something for the greater good. Fuck no. People are just trying to not be miserable and be more burnt out than they are. Nursing, like, again, I keep going back to this, but like, it's a punitive profession. You know, it's really not something that encourages quality of life. It does not encourage um, quality of work life and home life. It does not encourage you to, um, you know, use your creative aspects and really utilize your talents and your skills. It's just you come here, you do these things and you go home, you know. And so I think a lot of people just kind of get in that mindset and they're tired, you know, and people are like, you know, I don't want to do this extra stuff. I'm not going to get paid anything else for it. I'm not going to be reimbursed. I'm not going to be appreciated and no one else is going to care. And that's all, you know, resultant of burnout across many spectrums of work. Yeah. Um, So here's a question. You and I are both daughters of nurses, right? Mama Duke is a nurse. Oh, she is. Carolyn became a nurse before they invented plastic. That's I, I literally, it's one of my favorite stories to tell. I'm going to interview her on on my podcast as soon as I can get her to figure out how to use Zoom and set up a microphone, which (laughs) maybe a while not looking, not looking hopeful. (laughs) So I want to know, like when you were a kid, what was your what was your view on nursing? Like, what did your mom tell you about becoming a nurse, if at all? Uh, Did she play a part in why you entered the profession? I want to hear all about that. So I have like a whole family of nurses, my mom, my sister, my aunt, my cousin, all advanced practice nurses or nursing educators. My aunt, my mom's sister is actually a nun and a nurse. And um, it's a really interesting combination. But like the nunnery, the convent paid for her to go. Is that bad? I just called it a fucking nunnery. (laughs) Um, No, the convent paid for her to go to nursing school. So like really, really unique, really cool, interesting story. But my mom became a nurse. Um, She's been a nurse for like 57 years, I think. So when she became a nurse, you know, nurses were nurses were not regarded as professionals. That was kind of your identity. And, um, you know, she had to live in the dorm and they had curfews and their uniforms got inspected every morning and they had the long white dresses and the really ugly shoes and the nylons the caps. And um, this was in a time where, you know, whenever a doctor came to the nurse's station, you know, the nurses had to stand up and give their seat to the physician. Yeah. You know, you could smoke at the nurse's station. You could smoke in the hospital. I mean, there was just, there was no such thing as regulation about anything, but she remembers like her first nursing job. She was the head nurse on like a med surge ward and they didn't have like plastic Alaris tubing and Alaris pump. Like they had, they had none of that. There was none of that. And she tells me stories about, you know, what the IVs were like back then. And she tells me stories about, you know, having to actually sanitize the needles because you would be using them on multiple patients and, you know, cleaning bedpans because they were metal bedpans and you would be using them on multiple patients, giving whiskey to people because medications were very different back then. And also just having a very much different scope in the sense that like you didn't have machines to tell you what someone's vitals were. There was no such thing as a fucking telemonitor. There were there was no such thing as like monitors. Just everything changed, you know? It was so much more of a you really had your training and your hands and your eyes and your ears, your no, like your senses. 
And one of the things she always describes to me, she's always just like, you had to use your senses so much more than you do now. Mm. And not that we don't use our senses now, but um, it's just very different as compared to back then. But when I was growing up, my bedtime story would be like the big med surge book. We would be looking at wounds and like ostomies. Um, my mom would like bring me into, she was um, a nursing educator at St. Louis University School of Nursing. After she left like clinical practice and bedside, she was the coordinator of the skills lab for St. Louis mm. University School of Nursing. So all of the foundations, like your first year of nursing school, when you're learning foundations, the beds, the baths, the vitals, the wound care, the tubes, the IVs, all that stuff. Like that's what my mom taught at SLU. And so she would bring me in there with her like on the weekends when she would be doing weekend clinicals and some other things. And I would like be playing around like the sim lab, like with all the mannequins and, you know, playing around with blood pressure cuffs and all these fun things and, and whatnot and watching her, you know, teach the skills lab and everything. And I was like, oh, this is cool. But I never wanted to be a nurse. I actually never thought about being a nurse. I never wanted to be a nurse. It never crossed my mind as a kid. When I was younger, I actually wanted to be Indiana Jones for many years. <laughs> I would be in the backyard with my dad, like pretending to dig up fossils and shit. I would be, you know, watching every single like dinosaur movie I could like get my hands on. And I had this interesting obsession with science and history. And after I got over the fact that Indiana Jones probably isn't realistic for me to be, I thought about becoming like a lawyer or like a forensic psychiatrist. I honestly just never really had like that one thing where I was like, dreamt it as a kid, was destined for it and set the goal on it. No, I was all over the fucking place. I really didn't have a lot of direction for most part of my life. That's another reason why I have a podcast called Bad Decisions. <laughs> <laughs> Which everybody should listen to, by the way, if you don't already, yes. it is gold. <laughs> but don't listen to it with your kids in the car. There you go. Definitely not. <laughs> or your like elderly parents or anyone who's easily offended. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because like, I, I really, I can't tell you one time where I ever was like, oh yeah, I would love to be a nurse when I grow up. Um, in fact, you know, it, Working in healthcare really only came to me when I was in a really bad place in my life. So I graduated high school and I got accepted to St. Louis University, like their undergrad arts and science, like regular college. And I declined it. And I was like, I'm making great decisions. I was like, I'm not going to go to this like top 20 university. I'm going to work and make money. And that went over really well with my parents. Both my parents have master's degrees. My dad went to Georgia Tech. He was a physics professor for many years. My mom had her master's in nursing and like that went over really fucking good. So I left home right after high school and moved in with a boyfriend who, um, you know, you couldn't tell me shit back in the day. I mean, you really can't tell teenagers shit anyway, but moved in with a boyfriend and I got myself into a really bad place after that because he became a very abusive alcoholic and there were many, many nights where I was really struggling with just everything, every aspect. What am I doing? What am I going to do? I was working in a sandwich shop making $5.15 an hour and then I was doing odd jobs like at factories. Nothing will humble you like working in a factory. I have never really spoke much about that, but I worked um, for, I would take like a three month, like summer 
temp position in factories in St. Louis when I lived with him. I was so broke. Like I, I was like kind of estranged from my family because my parents were like, what the fuck are you doing? They didn't approve of anything I was doing. And I was kind of just living this whole separate life. But I would go to work at the sandwich shop making $5 and 15 cents an hour. And then I would go work in these factories, you know, like Monday through Friday. And I was doing everything I could just to like make money. And then my boyfriend at the time became a very, very abusive alcoholic. And I was kind of stuck for a while. And one night he, it was, it was a night I I really, really remember. I, I was really just in a, in a bad place. I, this, you know, was going on for like a year. I was really very like, estranged from my family in the sense that I kind of was just, I knew I was in a not good situation and I knew that nobody would approve of what I was doing. And so I kind of just strayed away from my family and I didn't think anything about going to school. I didn't think, I obviously wasn't saving any money. I was making $5 a fucking hour. And one night um, we got into this huge, huge fight because basically my job to avoid getting the shit beat out of me was make sure that like the refrigerator was fully stocked with like liquor and beer, whatever, whatever I had to do to get a hold of it. Like I pawned all my jewelry. I pawned my high school class ring. I would like gather change and go to the fucking liquor store with like $10 and pennies because that's what I found like in all the couches. And the apartment we were living in was like basically condemned. There was no walls. There was no electricity. I was running an extension cord to like the neighbor's house. I was boiling my bath water on the stove to have hot water. It was like dire straits. And we had this huge, huge blowout one night. And I remember he like came home and he was getting off work and he worked construction. And like, there was no like dinner ready. And there was no beer or anything. Cause like, I didn't have any money. I literally didn't have any money. My bank account was like negative. I couldn't find change. I couldn't borrow money from anybody. And you know, he beat the shit out of me that night and he ended up passing out. And I was up until three o'clock in the morning and I'm watching like random shit on TV and an infomercial comes on for this local nursing school. That's like accepting applications. And I was just like, okay, And I went the next day, I filled out an application. And then, um, you know, when I was there, this is when you like filled out paper applications. For those of you (laughs) who are wondering what that is, uh, I went to the school, (laughs) filled out a piece of paper and handed it to a woman in an office. (laughs) Um, A very like prehistoric thought right now. But, you know, when I went there, she's like, well, it would probably be better for you if you were working in a hospital right now. And I'm like, okay. But she's like, well, you don't have any college credits or anything Um, Because I was taking some courses at a local community college. I forgot about that. I was taking courses at a local community college, but they were for a culinary program because I obviously love food. But she's like, you know, you have like one semester of chicken stocks and like soup making 101. Like this isn't going to transfer to a nursing program. And that's a very like not normal story about how you became a nurse, right? Like it, everyone is, most people are like, I always wanted to be a nurse, and, you know, I've, I've always wanted to do it and I've always had this and that and this and that, but I never had that, honestly. And I tell people nursing found me like when I needed it most, because after that, I ended up changing my program at the community college. I changed it to like pre-nursing and I started taking, you know, anatomy and physiology, micro, all those classes. And then 
um, about a year and a half, two years later, I was able to transfer to the associate's degree program at that nursing school. And then I, I started the program there. I'm not one of those, like, I'm not traditional with anything. I'm, I'm, I'm like the apple that fell way off the tree, you know, and it's funny. It's just so funny to me that people even want to hear about this stuff because this is the stuff I was ashamed of for so many years. For so many years, I was always real ashamed. I had all these non-traditional pathways to anything that I ended up, you know, and um, it's interesting because our society loves to tell people that you should, you know, you should have everything figured out by the time you're 30. You should be buying a house, married with kids and have a great career and financially stable and, you know, take this direction and go in this timeline and by this age, by that age, by that age. And, you know, like that, that doesn't happen for everybody, you know, but society loves to make us feel bad. And so it's funny here, like, you know, 16, 20 years later, and I'm like, people actually want to hear about this. And it's funny because I'm actually comfortable talking about it. But back then, you know, stuff was different back then. My path to nursing was really not inspired by my mom. It wasn't inspired by anybody in particular. It, honest to God, was like divine intervention. I didn't know that story about you. Thank you for sharing that. And I, I think that it's a really good example about how one moment in time can... Yep. Like if you can pinpoint this one moment where your path could go one way or another, like you have that moment and you can kind of think back to what could have been if you had not taken that path. But I always think it's so interesting for us to examine like what are those moments in our lives that really determined yep. how the rest of things went. Yep. And that was it. I literally remember how I was sitting. I remember what was in the room. I remember that my boyfriend at the time was like passed out and covered in piss in the bed. And there were like empty cans of Milwaukee's best everywhere from like the previous five days. There was no drywall on the walls. It was just like two by fours and insulation. There's fucking extension cords everywhere. Like I had no kitchen. I had like a hot plate that I would plug into the extension cord. And I basically lived off hamburger helper, like without the hamburger. And I lived off stuff that like didn't require refrigeration. I did have a microwave. It's just interesting. I just, I, I look back at that and I'm just like, I was at the absolute bottom of my barrel. Yeah. I don't, I don't see it getting lower than that. And even this year, and this year has been really shitty for me. I relocated for a man who I thought was going to be my husband, my life partner, left my entire life of 14 years for him and for us. And he ended up breaking up with me, you know, five and a half, six months after I move. And I, you know, in the middle of a pandemic and I had nowhere to go and no one to turn to. And I was living out of hotels for weeks. And then I drive back to New York City and work and I work the fucking peak of the crisis and then I get COVID and hospitalized, all that shit. None of that can compare to like the low that I was in during this time mm. 18 years ago because it really was something that was, I was a much different, per I mean, Grant, I was such a young girl back then, you know, like so young and I had no self-worth whatsoever. And you know, it's funny because this week, the podcast episode of mine that comes out this week actually 
opens the vault on talking about my abusive relationships because I've never really spoke about them like in detail. So this week, I've really actually been thinking a lot about this. And I have actually thought about like, oh, you know, you remember that one night that you just kind of sat and stared at the TV in between the ShamWow and the rotisserie Showtime barbecue and that nursing school commercial came on at 3 a.m. And look where you're at now. Like, imagine if I would have just like kept clicking or if I wouldn't have like really thought different. I would still be working at that sandwich shop or that factory and or or maybe not. I mean, I probably would be dead. I mean, my, my ex is dead. He died of a heroin overdose, you know, years later. And he's, he's, who knows if I wouldn't have gone down that path. Yeah. Never know. I think there are things that happen to us sometimes that we do for ourselves because of choices that we make and because of choices that we don't make. And then I think that there are things that we just can't explain, but they happen because they need to happen. Whether you believe in God, whether you believe in the universe whether you believe in in some spiritual guide out there doing some shit for you, but that's what happened to me that night. It was like divine intervention. It was one of those things that I'm very thankful for because, listen, like I love sandwiches, but like I don't think I would have survived culinary school. I would love to like have my own restaurant or a food truck one day, but man, listen, that it's just a little, little too much going on right now for all that. Hey there, friend. If you are a brand new nurse practitioner or an NP student nearing graduation, I have the perfect resource for you that will help you get all your ducks in a row as you get started with your job search. It's called the Nurse Practitioner Graduation Survival Guide, and you can get it totally free at my website at theresumerx.com slash npgrad. This guide will help break down the glossary of all the terms and acronyms that you will need to be applying for. Think NPI and DEA, as well as giving you the typical timeline of everything that needs to happen before you can start working as an NP. I can't wait for you to snag this guide so you can stop worrying about everything you need to do before you can be legit. Go ahead to theresumerx.com slash NPgrad and get it for free. Can't wait to hear what you think. So when did you or how did you realize that you talked about, you know, like that you can now share all these vulnerable moments that you've had. And, you know, one could argue that your platform really is you embracing and sharing vulnerability. And I want to know, like, how did you get to the point where you could broadcast that so comfortably? And has that been difficult for you behind the scenes? Because you are out there very bravely sharing like every story, every challenge in yep. such an admirable way that I want to know like how that is for you like on the inside. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I appreciate that you feel about it that way because that's what I hope that people feel when they read something or watch a video or or something that I that I share you know, um, and it in turn can hopefully encourage somebody else to, you know, not everybody needs to go broadcast their stories and their life experiences. But, you know, sometimes just seeing somebody else really go through some relatable deep shit can help us through our own moments, you know, but it's interesting how this kind of came across. I've dealt with a lot of interesting things in my life, you know, between being in abusive relationships, and I have been in two very 
physically and emotionally abusive relationships. And then I was bullied as a kid in seventh grade so bad that I had to switch school districts. Um, And I have been through a lot of things that have kind of brought me up in an environment to where my confidence has always been an issue. My confidence and my security has always been an issue. It's always been something that I kind of struggle with. I've also always been kind of taught that I should be ashamed of a lot of things. You know, you should be ashamed that you, you know, made out with that boy in seventh grade and now you're a slut. You should be ashamed that you allowed yourself to be in an abusive relationship. You should be ashamed that you didn't go to college right away. You should be ashamed that you, um, you know, were not the top of your class. You should be ashamed that boys think you're fat, whatever it is. It's always been that same message. So when I was on um, the TV show, um, New York Med, season two, this was sort of like my aha moment. I got fired from my job because my managers felt that something I posted on Instagram was insensitive. And full disclosure, I actually won a resignation. So, you know, TV just decided to not show that whole part. But on New York Met on ABC, they aired that as the premiere episode of season two. And they aired it to six million people on ABC primetime. And overnight, I had a world that was divided 50-50. 50% of millions of people that saw this felt bad for me. And they were like, God, how can a hospital just like fire a nice, compassionate, like dedicated, experienced nurse for posting something that they're allowing TV cameras to film anyway? Like, what the fuck is that? But the other half of the world, and I'm talking like, you can pull this up in a page if you go to like, the old all nurses forums. Remember those old forums and those first blogs and everything like all nurses.com and a bunch of these other blogs and forums started like butchering me like overnight. And it was bad. People were saying, you know, your license should be stripped from you. You're unethical. You should never be allowed to work around patients ever again. You know, people tried reporting me to the state board of nursing and I was immediately given like the scarlet letter. And, and, and it's something that has followed me around. Like, I literally am here like seven years later and I've done so many really commendable things. And that is still the first fucking thing that anyone in any interview pops up, wants to talk about. And it's the first fucking thing you see if you Google my name. And it's really frustrating. But what I realized that overnight after that aired was that People were attacking me without even getting to know me or my story and using this really shitty moment to make me feel like shit even worse, to shame me. Basically, I was getting bullied. I was getting bullied online. I was getting bullied at the fucking hospital. I was getting, you know, public shaming. And I mean, these blogs, the nerdy nurse put a blog out about me that was so terrible. So terrible. She finally edited it last year after it had been up for six and a half years. And go ahead, go ahead and Google that too. The title of it is Katie Duke shows people how not to use social media. She didn't interview me for this blog. She didn't call me. She didn't message me. She just put whatever the fuck she wanted up there. And people decided to try to start coming up off of my like demise. And it's interesting how people will use you when you are a public figure they'll try to coattail off of your popularity or they will try to just, 
you know, gain their own traffic or gain their own following by, by, um, what's the word? Um, exploiting you, exploiting you and like putting you down. Yeah. And so overnight, that's what happened. It continued. It's, it still continues. I still get people who harass me and who have very inappropriate things to say and like blackmail me and badmouth me about me losing my job seven years ago. So what I learned overnight after that happened and what I learned the following months after that was that people can't use things against you if you talk about them and if you own them first. Hmm. Sort of like the Kevin Hart philosophy. Yeah. Remember when Kevin Hart cheated on his wife the second time when she was pregnant and he came out on TV and he said, I fucked up. I cheated on my wife and, you know, it was wrong and I am a bad husband and I need to work on this. You know what that did? It means that the tabloids and the other and the and the people who were with him at the time couldn't sell his story and try to come up off of it and turn the narrative to benefit themselves. So that was sort of like what was the catalyst to me just kind of being like, I mean, shit, you know, like no one can make me feel shamed about something if I'm openly talking about it, you know, and that really was the moment that was a very big eye opener for me. It was incredibly traumatic. Like I, I, I can't even tell you what it's like being attacked by the entire internet. Like it was bad. And it's crazy. Cause like people don't try to get to know you. They, they don't, they don't care to get to know you. They just immediately, you know, go in for that kill. And, um, I just found that people were really trying to use my worst moments against me. So the whole key to vulnerability is two as it's like twofold. Vulnerability is, you know, being able to recognize that this moment is making you feel something that might not be that desirable, right? And then the other aspect of that is um, owning that moment so that other people can't use it against you. And, you know, some people might disagree with me, but I remember that that's kind of what set my platform. And that's kind of what changed things for me after that was because I was just like, well, I mean, at the end of the day, like people can't use things against you if you're not ashamed of them. Yeah, They can't make you feel bad for them. So after that, like a few months down the line, what I started doing was I started doing interviews and openly talking about what happened and I took full accountability, even though, um, I didn't even have to do that. You know, I took full accountability and I started telling people and talking about it and it just kind of got very therapeutic after a while. And then I was just like, well, shit, I may as well start talking about the, all, all the other stuff I've been feeling ashamed of my whole entire life. And it was interesting because people on Twitter started being like, you're like really relatable. It's really good to hear this. And I'm like, really? I thought I'd be losing followers. I thought I would be like, I thought nobody would fuck with me. But honestly, when you're like 100% yourself and you're authentic and people can relate to you, like people do fuck with you. They do. They, they fuck with you. They support you. They like you because you're normal and you're like regular. And I feel like there's a lot of public figures and viral celebrities and all these whatnots out there that just lose their like regular person relatability and a big part of that is being vulnerable. And a big part of that is being okay and comfortable talking about the things that society and the internet has told you you should feel ashamed about. 
that's a very long answer to your question. I'm like, well, <laughs> no, it was perfect. Good answer, Amanda. <laughs> I love it. Sorry, so do you, audience. In, <laughs> so in hindsight, um, and I don't, and I don't mean in like a way of toxic positivity, like it was all for the better, but do you, do you have any regrets or do you feel like that moment as dark of a moment as it was and as a shameful moment as it was, was it worth what came after? Oh, that's a toughie. Um, so twofold, that's a loaded question. <laughs> twofold. Um, it was worth it in the sense that it was really the thing that pushed me into a career that would be the best decision of my life. But it was not worth it in the damage that it did to me as as a woman. Mm-hmm. Because I still, again, like years and years later, I have many unhealed wounds that have, you know, contributed to me making bad decisions throughout my adulthood and throughout my my years. In fact, the relationship that I just had, I I look back and there's so many things that I should have spoke up about or talked about or voiced my concern on that. um, And I never did because I was operating out of the mindset of like an abused, scared woman. So that situation was good in the sense that that's what brought me to nursing in my profession, which honestly has been the basis and foundation of every good thing that I have in life right now. It all stems from that, but it has really kind of left me fucked up in the head from, you know, a psychological perspective, because when you're in a very abusive, you know, relationship, you really need to like heal from those wounds and get therapy. And I didn't get therapy back then. And I wish I would have, but it's tricky. I definitely am thankful that I got out of there, that I paid attention to that message and that I, you know, that they even allowed me to go from a culinary program to like pre-nursing. They're like, so you want to go from stocks 101 to anatomy and physiology? And I'm like, yeah. (laughs) I love it. So I want to know when all is said and done and you, when you retire, whatever, whatever that looks like, whenever that is, what do you want to have been known for? Oh, this is a good one. You have good interview questions. Ooh, you little devil. Um, so I would like to be known for, we've actually already said it. I would like to be known for being a relatable woman who has uplifted other people in not only their professional life, but their personal life as well by sharing authentic, relatable, vulnerable moments and helping people through that process and, and also through like the mentoring process. I'd also like to be known for my fabulous, fabulous sneakers, sneaker collection. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, but that, that would be it. And honestly, like at, at the end of each day, I just say, I'm like, if I can impact one person, I'm doing something good. Cause that one person is going to go and impact a friend or a family member or a patient or something. And, you know, I literally have fears every single day that like no one's going to swipe up on my links. No one's going to book a mentoring session. No one's going to come on a trip I'm hosting or come to a workshop or no one's going to do any of this. Cause I always have this thing in my head that like people don't like me or that they don't support me. And again, that's coming from 
the unhealed wounds of that abused woman that I was many years ago. So like if you are in a situation where that is not healthy for you, you better get some fucking therapy because you don't want to be dealing with it because it pops up in many different ways many years later. But like, I hope at the end of the day that that is how people remember me by. And that's how people look at me. And and when they speak about me, they say, you know, that she was authentic and she helped me in ways that other people might not be comfortable talking about. I love that. As we wrap things up, I want you to tell my listeners, because this is a new thing, people can work with you now one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And so I want you to kind of talk about your mentoring. Away yet. <laughs> <laughs> tell us about your mentoring platform. <laughs> so um, if you guys aren't terrified yet, and if you <laughs> if you're not like, okay, go and follow this crazy girl now. So I have a couple different things that I can offer your audience members. In addition to our really exciting collabs that we are doing with Katie Duke and the Resume RX, there are three ways that you can connect with me. So I do offer one-on-one mentoring sessions. Uh, The mentoring sessions cover things that standard mentoring doesn't cover. So I'm not going to be teaching people about, you know, their clinical rotations. I'm not going to be teaching people, you know, how to be a nurse practitioner, but what my mentoring covers, you can either get an hour session or a 90 minute session or a three or six week um, subscription. And um, the subscriptions come with discounted hourly rates that just allows for more sessions if you want a little more thorough mentoring, but it covers navigating burnout, dealing with workplace bullying, transitioning to a new role, whether you're the student going to a nurse or a nurse going to a provider or a, you know, or an accountant going to be a nurse, whatever it may be, describing that transition is very, it's a very difficult transition. So transitioning to a new role, and then um, goals and direction, and then also graduate school. And when I say graduate school, a lot of people think, oh, you can, you're going to like, precept me for graduate school. No, it's not that kind of party, even though I would love to. Graduate school mentoring that I offer will help you sort of target and narrow down what type of nurse practitioner you want to be, why you need to pick um, certain types of programs, how to find the best program that you can for you, but also what to expect within graduate school and um, within your first year of working. And so that is one option. The other option is a um, concept to creation course that I teach with Nicole Thomas. We actually offer an online e-course now, which is fully self-navigatable. That's not even a word. (laughs) Come and let me mentor you. I can't even fucking talk. Self-navigating? I I know. Self-taught? Self-study. Self-study. God. Sorry, guys. Since I had COVID, I have very weird word finding difficulties sometimes. And so I apologize, but I really do have my shit together. Um, So the concept of creation course is it's a 20 module online course with videos and lectures that basically teaches you how to earn multiple streams of income outside of the hospital. So if you're thinking about becoming an author, becoming a speaker, you want to write a blog, you want to earn money on social media, you want to build a brand or a business online, Or maybe just you're realizing that the hospital doesn't have your best interests in heart and you don't want to keep depending on them to make your money, then that's the perfect course for you. So those are the things. And then um, if anyone is planning on traveling in 2021, which let's hope that we can, I do have um, bad decisions workshops and all the trips that I travel with. um, And I'm doing a lot of trips with Trova Trip next year. 
and the Bad Decisions Workshop, if you are on the trip, they will be socially distanced, obviously. But the Bad Decisions Workshop is where I encourage other people to open up and talk about their bad decisions. And that's when the healing begins. And there that's you go. so awesome. Yay. Um, if you are listening and you want to check those out, those will all be linked in the show notes for today's episode. Um, and also, I am a proud sponsor, I guess you could say, of Katie's podcast, yep. Bad Decisions. So we have a link where all of our products, meaning products from the Resume RX, where you can get a discount. Um, and also Katie is affiliated with those, theresumerx.com slash bad decisions. And that will be linked in the show notes as well. Thank you, Katie, so much for spending this time with me. Oh, thank you for thank you for having me. It's always it's always a pleasure talking to you. But this this was a good, this was like a little therapy session. Yes. This was good. Yes. I it hope was great. It was therapy for your listeners as well. I hope so too. Let's do it again sometime. Let's do it. <laughs> Well, that does it for today. Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.